welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. On this week's episode, we are going to be asking the question, how to become more ethical? Uh, There's a lot of different directions we could go with this, so we'll probably discuss some of those, ask some difficult questions, but really, how do we work to get to be more ethical? It's a process of life. Daniel, why don't you start off by defining this for us? Set us off on the path we're going to go down. So we will definitely talk about uh, practical steps you can take to just be more ethical in your day-to-day life. Uh, But one of the primary things that I I think is worth addressing is the the bigger questions of ethics, trying to understand what uh, what is ethical, uh, what does an ethical life look like? Uh, Michael, I hate to steal your thunder, but before the show, uh, or before we started recording, uh, you said the simple definition for what is ethics is how similar is your life to that described on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I think that's a fairly succinct way of understanding what Christian ethics is. How similar is my life to the Sermon on the Mount? Um, and in that way, to the life of Jesus. Um, and so I, I think that initial definition leads us to two other Uh, strains of thought. First is um, Jesus outlines in in the sermon some things that aren't too complex, things that were probably known before him, or maybe if they weren't known before him, they're they're certainly known to us today. I think of the commandment or the the teaching against lust. So certainly uh, different from what the Jews had known, but Christians today are very familiar with this uh, the sin of lust and trying to avoid it in their lives. Um, and so it's not a hard teaching to understand, but it's certainly a hard teaching to implement, um, to re- um, removing this lust uh, from our lives. But then in that same chapter, at the end of chapter five, Jesus has this teaching about turning the other cheek. And uh, we, we may discuss this more There's certainly a lot of argument about what that means, but one potential understanding for that one that I would advocate for is Jesus's teaching his disciples to be nonviolent, maybe as far as to be uh, pacifists on a a macro scale. And that is certainly a a controversial teaching. Uh, Not only does the world not accept that teaching, but most Christians don't accept the teaching of nonviolence or certainly don't. Uh, live it out. And um, so that's different from lust in that uh, he, he gives this teaching and it's not even something that we can really embrace. We're so uh, hesitant or scared of how radical that certain teaching could be. And so that that is already introducing us to the many ways that this topic of ethics can go. What are y'all's thoughts, Stephen? What are you thinking about this idea of becoming more ethical? Originally, when I was thinking about uh, how to best define your ethics, because if you look at the definition of ethics, it's a a personal definition of what you believe to be true and how you act upon those things. Um, And situational ethics is um, something that a lot of people will say, it depends on X, Y, or Z, uh, that will determine the 
outcome or the right ethical thing to do in a certain situation. And the more we can get down to what is the actual decision that's being made or what are uh, the values that you're basing your decision on, I think that the situation is really the same in a lot of things. And we are seeing to uh, bring in outside variables that don't actually play a part uh, in the decision that's being made. So uh, you, you mentioned Matthew 5, or uh, the Sermon on the Mount, 5 through 7, as lining up our decision making. If it's in accordance with uh, those words of Jesus, then I would try and simplify it even a little bit more, saying that the, if we can just line up our ethics with the greatest uh, command, love, your, uh, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, the, the second uh, greatest command, then if we're doing those things, and maybe just even the first one, because I think if you do love God, then you will be loving your neighbor. Uh, but, um, and, and the reason that I think that the second commandment is uh, given is because you love God, who is the creator, and then you also love his creation. Um, and so if we base, if we are making our actions reflective of following that command, then I think we will find the right ethical thing to do because ethics were given to us by God from creation. And so when we get into a lot of the hypothetical examples that we're going to get into, uh, we can probably find the answers by following that commandment. So a story that I wanted to share was when I was taking my uh, a business ethics class doing a master's degree. It was a six-week crash course, and each week we had a different uh, ethical dilemma that we had to uh, give our feedback on. And so uh, the first week, uh, the hypothetical situation was a person that I considered to be morally right uh, doing something in a business practice uh, and I, uh, I put in my answer and the, the professor came back and said, no, actually the person that was morally right was doing something against what the business wanted them to do. Uh, and it was basically their personal preference on this thing. And so that person was unethical in how they were behaving in the workplace. To which I'm thinking, well, that is basically telling someone to their own morals and ethics and so I disagreed however I realized what the professor was getting at so I just gave him what he wanted to hear didn't actually agree with it um, and so how do we handle uh, times when the world is telling us something that this is the truth that we need to be living by and something else takes precedent over what we actually consider to be the right thing to do what examples do you have I think one of the issues that we often have are competing ethics and specifically where we would agree that two things are both ethical, two things are both morally valuable. And because there are two competing ideas, we have to make a difficult decision between the two. Uh, for example, as, as Dana was talking about earlier, you know, one of those hard saying, of Jesus uh, having to deal with, um, you know, turning the other cheek 
is, you know, we have what Jesus teaches there, but we also have, uh, you know, defending the helpless or defending ourselves, you know, self-preservation. Um, some would argue that that's baked into our DNA. And so we have the way that God made us and what Jesus is telling us to do. And so uh, it becomes difficult to, to talk through what our real decisions look like when we're actually challenged to make them. I think any discussion of ethics, it's worth mentioning at least uh, some of the, the main uh, academic schools of thought going at this. And I, I think it goes along with what you were just saying, Michael, and even Stephen, you were bringing up um, the, the core of ethics and how uh, even though we try to complicate it, maybe not as complicated as we think. Well, and Daniel, just to, to before you go into more depth with this, I, I'd like to say that, you know, if we go back, uh, what is this, 250 years, um, Adam Smith was not a professor of economics. He was a professor of moral philosophy, that the idea of trying to decide what is right in the world is very much connected to any anything that's not a hard science is really trying to get at this idea of what what is right in the world how do we live collectively well together and make those decisions so uh, when i teach my econ classes we spend a whole class period basically on what we call political philosophy but it's getting into utilitarian ethics uh classical liberalism uh, things like that. So, um, I'll hand it back over. Uh, so I'm not an expert on the law, uh, a mosaic or constitutional or anything for that matter. Uh, but just from doing business classes, uh, um, on a university level, the reasons that laws are put out there is because they want to give a fair outcome based upon whoever is writing those laws if you're representing people they're wanting to give uh, the most fair uh, fair chances uh, to have the best outcome in a lot of situations uh, a lot of them not all of them so having said that uh, what is fair? So a lot of laws that are out there to pr protect consumers are out there because um, people use deception to get things done. And um, once we all realize that, uh, or we can agree that deceiving someone uh, or leading them so that they didn't actually want to go down is a wrong thing to do. Uh, I mean, that would be the first step in deciding what's ethical or not, uh, then you can really put out there what is ethical and non-ethical. Uh, so that's just from a financial perspective. What other examples could you all think of? On that same theme, um, there is often, so within the econ world, there's a differentiation between law and legislation. Law are the things that we can all agree are right that even if the this you know written down law didn't exist we would all at least attempt to do it daniel as you were hinting at earlier we might not do it but we would at least acknowledge yes that is the right thing to do so legislation on the other hand is that which sometimes refers back to the law but often also can just be a reflection of the unethical behavior of the legislators 
or an advocacy group that's trying to advocate for a particular piece of legislation that pushes their own interest. So law is everything we agree on, and sometimes that gets reflected in legislation, but oftentimes we will write laws. The collective legislator will put forward laws that are not ethical. Uh, I hate to complicate it more by introducing um, the, these schools of thought I think y'all are familiar with these, but just uh, for anyone who's interested, there, there's generally thought to be three main schools of thought when discussing ethics. The first one we'll call uh, utilitarianism or mm -hmm. consequentialism. The idea that um, the ends justify the means, or if you could calculate all of the, the benefits of one side um, and weigh that against uh, any negatives, that, that's how you should determine your ethics. It's a very mathematical approach. The second one worth mentioning is called deontological ethics or Kantian ethics. And this is the idea um, that uh, it's about the, the means rather than the ends the idea that certain actions are ethical or not ethical in and of themselves. So a lie is always bad. So even if Nazis are knocking at your door asking if you, you're hiding Jews in your home, you cannot lie, you need to tell the truth. Um, and so that one is very focused on, there are certain things that are always wrong, certain things that are always good. Um, and then the, the final one worth mentioning is called virtue ethics. Virtue ethics is usually associated with uh, Aristotle and uh, ancient Greek thought, um, it, but it's become more popular recently. Uh, people like Alistair McGrath, is that right? I may be confusing him with someone else. Um, but uh, virtue ethics is the idea that whatever um, actions are, are coming out of the certain virtues that we that we think are valuable and worth exhibiting in the world so you say the virtues that matter are love joy peace and so on um, are these certain actions exhibiting those virtues uh, that's a, just a short understanding of virtue ethics now i, I just want to say regarding all three of those ideas and then the sort of business ethics and legal ethics that y'all have been discussing um, I would be under the persuasion and feel free to critique me or those other ideas I mentioned, but I would think that I think that's too complicated and that those are fun and I like discussing them. Uh, but I would say for most people deciding what is ethical is very plain and the, the real problem uh, most of the time is fulfilling what we think is ethical. Now, there are some places where I would argue, you think this is right, I think it's wrong, or vice versa. Um, we mentioned nonviolence earlier, uh, maybe, I don't know, environmental issues. Some people might disagree on those topics, but by and large, we agree on what's right. We just have to actually do it. And I would say on environmental issues that I, a lot of people disagree on the facts or disagree on the implications of the facts, which I would at least consider an unknowable. Like, right. like it's, it's impossible to know that. So um, Daniel, can we play some, some games with some of these ways of thinking? 
and perhaps uh, answer the questions ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, starting maybe with the trolley problem, or as I call it in my class, uh, the fat man problem. <laughs> I uh, want to add in something. So when I started off, uh, I was talking about situational ethics. And so uh, what I meant by that is basically what Daniel's pointing out here, where you have your, uh, your means versus uh, the end result. Uh, basically picking and choosing which ethics you want to use as uh, your foundation uh, based upon whatever the situation is. So like if you want to say lying in all circumstances is wrong, but you're going to make your exceptions for the uh, means. So you're using a mix of both. And so uh, you really have to choose one or the other or do you. So let's get into some examples. Sure. Okay. So, uh, Daniel, would you tell us the trolley car problem? Oh, I haven't studied ethics in too long. So y'all can correct me if I mess this up. I think the, the, the normal trolley problem, the, the default one is there's a runaway trolley and, uh, there are, um, maybe some workers or, um, sorry, there, there's someone who is in front of the trolley and they are not gonna be able to move in time. Maybe they're even tied up, something sinister like that. And the trolley is going to hit them and kill them. But you happen to be standing next to a lever that you can pull that'll change the tracks and uh, cause that um, trolley to change its path and not go down its original path. And I've already messed it up because there's, there's a multiple people in the way of the trolley right now. Um, and then if you change the track, there's only one person, uh, or fewer people down the alternate path. That, is that right? Did I mess this up? No, no, I, I, I've heard it that way as well. The way Michael Sandel t- tells the trolley car problem, Go the reason it's called the fat man problem is because you're standing on a bridge and the, the lever to switch it is below you. And the only way to hit the lever is to push a fat man off of the bridge to hit the lever to make the trolley car divert to go somewhere else. Michael, I think that that looks like Daniel's mistake. So that is a variation of it. So when Sandel does it, I believe he builds up to that's that's a scenario on top of the original scenario where you're actively killing someone else um, in order to save these other lives. So let's answer the first, let's answer Daniel's version first. Let's do around the horn. What would each of us do? Anyone want to volunteer to go first? I'll go first. Um, I will, yeah, I I won't give any details. I'll just say I would uh, pull the lever and I would divert it to the the single casualty. I I would as well. uh, Stephen, what would you do? And by the way, how many people are we, so it's one versus five versus Yep, it makes sense to have less death than more death. So, yes, I would go with the less death. And this is obviously very utilitarian of us. Um, It maybe bleeds into where it's not necessarily against Kantian ethics. But if we go, if we step now to Michael's dilemma, where you have to actively push a man and kill him in order to divert. um, And I assume in that version, Michael, are there any people on the alternate track? It's just it's free to go. Yeah, you're able to stop the trolley. And maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but I've also heard where uh, you have 
the, the trolley's going down the track, it's going to kill one person. If you pull the lever, it sends makes <laughs> me laugh just thinking about it. if you pull the lever <laughs> and the lever uh, sends the trolley off a cliff and the person <laughs> in it dies. So it's like a one for one casualty, but you are uh, have each person's life in your hands. So uh, I think I've even actually heard that. That's a really interesting variation of it, uh, person in it versus the person outside. Um, but for I just have the visualization. <laughs> the person riding a trolley just going off the cliff. I don't know why I thought that was funny. Because you're a sick person. All right, so with so. the pushing the, the fat man, um, that one makes it a little bit weirder. Michael, you can maybe talk about it more. But because there's you're actively killing someone with your own action, with your hands. It's not... Uh, other events happening outside of uh, you have some control but it's really someone else's fault but with this one you're pushing a man so michael what how do you change your answer for that one or what other factors do you consider so a lot of people will get very uncomfortable are, are you asking me what my answer is uh whatever you think <laughs> let me let me talk a little bit about it first so a lot of people will get very uncomfortable with having to actively kill someone in order to save the lives of five others. And they'll come up with all sorts of things like, oh, let me let me jump off myself. I say, oh no, you're too skinny. Uh, it, won't, it won't hit the lever properly in order to divert the, the trolley. And inevitably, someone will bring up Jesus and they'll say, oh, the fat man is a Christ figure. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I mean, so. I say that people will throw variations. Well, will he have a good memorial with the 10 gun salute or something like that and have a memorial erected for him. Uh, oh. What I thought you were going with the fat man problem is valuation of one life over another where like right. uh, a fat man doesn't matter as much as somebody who's fit. Uh, so we can sacrifice him. Students will bring that up. The, one student will say, well, he probably has, you know, he's going to die of heart disease in a few years. And then another student will say, well, what if he was a Nobel Prize winning scientist? You know, you can start making these awful evaluations. Uh, you have awful students, I'll say that. But it, see, <laughs> what you're saying, that is often another variation of the problem where you give specific value to these people. So the person on one, it's the five people in front or the one person, but the one person is a doctor. And so they have the potential to go and save many lives throughout their career or they're young versus old, stuff like that. But sorry, Michael, go back to your thoughts. Sure, well, and one other thing that's kind of fun is when you get a student that refuses to push the fat man, just they will not do it. And then you start, you know, you can say, well, they have heart disease or, you know, you're saving five doctors. Then you start increasing the numbers, 10, a hundred, a thousand, a million, a billion, you know, you can the start, world. Yeah. right. The entire world. Like, is there any place? And usually they'll say, Oh, well, yeah, if it was a million people and then you say, all right, well, how about half a million? How about 400,000, 300,000? Basically saying you have a number. Everyone has a number. So uh, to tell you how heartless I am, I would push the fat man, you know, given that I have certainty that it's going to do the thing. It's really awkward when you push the fat man and everyone dies. <laughs> That's a whole nother thing. So. Uh, so, yeah, I guess other variations would be the trolley one way go, uh, kills a person, the other way is going to kill, uh, or it's uh, one way kills five people, the other one kills a baby. Or 
this one, uh, this track goes and kills a nun, and this one kills, uh, what's the value of a nun? Uh, three babies to, per nun? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm sure that's its own field of mathematics, equating how many babies equal any other occupation. Just Google that real quick. Okay, see, this is going to get our podcast in trouble. Um, I don't think the babies have sin in their life, so I would be more comfortable with letting the babies die. So let's move on to something. Uh, something completely different, please. Uh, so we should probably end with a discussion of uh, answering the question, which is the title of this podcast, How to Become More Ethical. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I'm going to throw it off to someone else because I don't have thoughts on that yet. Uh, Michael or Stephen, do y'all have preliminary thoughts on how to become more ethical? Sure. So I think that, and this is similar to our podcast from last week, um, you know, how to change your mind. The first step is to think about it, is to actually take your actions seriously. And if you want to become more ethical, you should seek out ethical teachers and start at, you know, basically you put yourself in the place of the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler was doing the right thing by going to Jesus and saying, tell me where I can improve. What, what can I do? Uh, what must I do to be saved? That sort of question. Um, and at that point you have to stop doing what the rich young ruler did and you have to actually listen to what is told to you. Consider it, you know, it, you know it, assuming you're not going to the Bible or Jesus, if you're going to a human teacher, actually test what they're saying. But if you're going to the Bible, going to Jesus, take it seriously and then let it change your life. Yeah. I, I really am struggling to be able to give our listeners something concrete on how to become more ethical other than um, it. I'm going to go to the definition of the word. It is uh, your personal beliefs um, and how you define your decision making based on that. And so um, the best way to become more ethical is to know what God wants you to do. And so read your Bible and pray every day and you will. What's the. Yeah. Uh, so if you do that, you will have a better understanding of what is right. The, and so whatever situation you're presented, you can have a better understanding of what you. So when you're, you're reading the story of how, uh, I don't know, Abraham lied about uh, his uh, wife, Sarah. Uh, well, okay. Well, was he doing that to protect her? Well, no. First it never says that that was the right thing to do. And so we know that uh, God does not look favorably upon Abraham's actions there. And so right. that will bring some context to you uh, whenever you're presented with the, the opportunity to tell a white lie to benefit or uh, lessen consequences in one manner or another. Uh, one that my wife and I had a discussion as far as ethics goes when we first started dating is, is it okay for somebody to order a water and then go to the soda machine and get Sprite? I will let our listeners figure that one out for yourselves. Steven loves Sprite. <laughs> I do, but I'm going to pay for it. Oh, um, I will kind of going back to some thoughts I shared earlier. 
I do think it is important to expand your conception of right and wrong, uh, to um, introduce yourself to things that you, you may not have previously had strong convictions on this is ethical or not ethical. A great place to start is with the work of Stanley Hauerwas. Um, he has uh, lots of books on ethics. Uh, one worth checking out is called The Peaceable Kingdom. Um, and that's a, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, talk, uh, trying to understand um, what is uh, the, the kingdom that Jesus introduces? What are the ethics in this new kingdom? I believe he also co-authors a book uh, with uh, William Willimon, maybe, on the Ten Commandments. And that is going, it's an in-depth look at the Ten Commandments and how much weightier and meatier it is um, for our ethical lives than we normally think. But that said, um, that is going to address the other 10% of your um, ethics, the, the core 90% are things you already know. Um, I know, you know, um, listeners know what's right and wrong, and it is following through on those things. And that is that only comes through discipline and reflection and accountability. Um, working with your, your friends, your spouse, um, uh, praying about it, meditating on it. Um, how can you become a more ethical person doing what's right? Um, we all know that caring for orphans, caring for widows, those are the right things to do. Um, but a lot of us uh, simply ignore those ideas. And so um, recognizing what we already know and actually following through on that. Well said. Uh, I'll, I'll end this off with a struggle that I have. I often struggle to share my ethics with others. And to be honest, I struggle more with sharing my ethics with other Christians than I do with sharing it with non-Christians. To the non-Christian, I'm already peculiar in the way that I live, so I know that I'm. it's easy for me to introduce it to them. But when I find that my ethics are in conflict with another Christian, it tears at me that uh, that we might come into conflict with each other. So I would encourage our listeners, uh, know that you are doing your brother or sister in Christ a favor, uh, and you're doing yourself a favor because one of you will walk away with a more complete knowledge of what it means to follow after uh, God. So uh, with that, we are thankful to our listeners for spending this time with us. Uh, we hope that you found it enjoyable. Uh, please subscribe to our podcast on whatever service you use. Leave us a rating if it's available to you. We're looking forward to talking to you next week.